you know you are capable of more because you have a burning desire to get the absolute most out of your career and your life, to follow your dream, to achieve your goals, and to realize your true potential. And we are going to do that together. This is the Own Your Career, Own Your Life podcast. Are you ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Own Your Career, Own Your Life podcast. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I appreciate you joining me again today for another fantastic episode of our podcast. Today, I'm sharing an interview I did last year in May 2020 with my friend Caitlin Ladon, who is a personal branding expert and uh, really an expert in all things LinkedIn uh, and how to take your brand online and build your brand on LinkedIn. Uh, I was attracted to Kate after I connected with her on LinkedIn and we started following each other on social media. And um, she produced a lot of really great content, especially explaining how to go build your brand and and create great content on LinkedIn. But what I really liked about it is it seemed more focused on corporate professionals. So that is a lot of uh, advice out there is geared towards entrepreneurs like me, how to go build your brand and get clients. Uh, But what about so many... Uh, corporate professionals, employees who are not looking to necessarily sell themselves or get clients, but want to build a brand that is going to help them uh, grow their career and um, find potential uh, opportunities down the line, right? Because we know if you've read my book, if you listen to my podcast, uh, you know there are a lot of benefits to investing in building your network and building your personal brand uh, and that it might lead to new business opportunities Uh, job opportunities, uh, who knows what, right? And it's your brand and your reputation. They're going to help you really get ahead in the end. And I like that Kate was creating a lot of content and working with clients uh, in that way. So I asked her to join me uh, on a LinkedIn Live series I started doing uh, early on in the COVID-19 pandemic. So this was recorded in May of 2020 uh, live on LinkedIn. So you're going to hear us probably mention some comments, some questions that come in live. Uh, But I promise you everything is uh, pretty applicable today as it was then. And, uh, you know, the lessons here are all about how do you go build your personal brand. By the way, uh, if you haven't already, I just want to remind you that I have a book called Own Your Career, Own Your Life. It is available now on Amazon. You can also get the book as well as signed copies of the book, bulk copies of the book, and free resources by going to my website, ownyourcareerownyourlife.com. And in fact, if you go to ownyourcareerownyourlife.com slash bonus, you get all the free resources I've created from the book, including my morning routine, the five steps to owning your career, and the three questions to ask anytime a new challenge comes up. I use these questions often. I know others do as well, and I know that can be helpful for you. Those are, again, at ownyourcareerownyourlife.com slash bonus. All right, without further ado, here is my interview with Kate Ladon, personal branding expert. All right, I am live with Kate Ladon, personal branding and LinkedIn expert. Kate, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Really cool to have you on. We were just saying right before I hit live that you and I have been connected for a while on LinkedIn and other platforms and been following each other. I love all your content. You're one of those people that I'm just like, I love everything she does. I feel like she's my friend. And yet we've never actually talked until right now. We're social friends. I Some of my best friends I've made socially. And I was just telling Andy, like I follow him on Instagram. I follow him on LinkedIn. I also am a big fangirl of all of his content. And yet this is the first time we've actually like connected, connected, which is just shows you the power of, of social media. Okay. Well, I'm glad that you said that because I'm a big fan boy, I guess, of, of all your stuff as well and everything <laughs> you're doing. And uh, and I'm like, yeah, we never actually talked. Uh, you know, I know you, you, you put out all these great articles and things about 
LinkedIn, how to build your personal brand, how to use LinkedIn content. And um, I was just looking, by the way, we were talking about live and other things, LinkedIn. I was looking at your profile. And by the way, you have right now uh, 12,482 followers on LinkedIn. Okay. That's, that's awesome. I have 12,319 followers on LinkedIn right now. So you got me by about, what did I say? 130, something like that. Just let's go. Thirteen, whatever. I'm not doing the math in my head. It's so close. It's so close. So if you're I like watching that very much like not, right there though, that's, that never happens. It's amazing. We're on, we're on par. Um, let's talk about that. How did you, I don't know your background. How did you get to become this personal brand LinkedIn expert? I'm just a guy who uses LinkedIn every day. I don't know anything about it. So how did you, <laughs> how did you get to this place? Completely by accident. Um, of course, like we all do. Completely by accident. I I had started a, a brand agency, so it was corporate branding. I came from a corporate world, finance of all things. Um, and when I started my brand consultancy, we were working with fast growth consumer goods products that were backed by venture funds and private equity or in new and emerging spaces like cannabis. And what we found with these companies is when you put the founder at the forefront of the brand, especially when you're in startup in the beginning stages of a company, you give your customers somebody who's relatable, somebody to root for, and you create a more, in our experience, bought in and loyal following um, from social media. And so one of the first companies we did this for was a consumer uh, hair care product out of Toronto. They were going up against, I mean, talk about a, a market with huge players in it. You're talking about some of the biggest brands in the world, like L'Oreal. And we put the founder, we so infused her into that brand that in her first year, they had like over a hundred thousand Instagram followers and did a million in revenue. So very quickly we realized, okay, we know it's no secret here that somebody, people like to buy from people. And when we mindfully put the founder out in front, it's going to do really well. And so then people just started to ask us to do that for them. Like I have this business, I've been running this business 10, 20 years. I'm at a point where I might sell it. I might start business too. I have started business too. And I really need to figure out how to merge my, all of my brands. I'm thinking about writing the book or going up for Ted talks. Can you help me figure out what that angle is as an executive? and then build that. And so we kind of found this niche uh, in there, especially for multipreneurs and then serial entrepreneurs and executives that are getting ready to publish and become authors and need a bought in and loyal social following to launch that book. Uh, I can totally see that. And especially there's value in all those different places. I kind of want to unpack some of those, but executives that are going to write the book and there's a lot of them out there. I have been working in the corporate space for almost well, for most of my career, but working as a consultant in the corporate space for 10 plus years, most of the executives out there have tied their identity to the companies they're in or the That's industries right. they're in and not thought about building their own personal brand. And there's so much content out there. It's obvious for entrepreneurs on why you would build a personal brand. As you mentioned, especially if you're a serial entrepreneur, you're starting different businesses, having that one personal brand where people can follow you and tie back to you, there's so much value. But from a corporate perspective, someone who's an employee, why would those people think about building a personal brand? You know, I'll, I'll say it like this to go 
there's a, a couple of different reasons, but here's the world in which we live these days. Your personal brand can absolutely become a bargaining chip for you. If I'm interviewing with an organization, let's say I decide to hang, hang my hat up tomorrow and go get a job in marketing. And I was interviewing with an agency. The fact that I would be able to go there and say, I have 12,000 LinkedIn connections. On top of that, I have 40,000 subscribers on my LinkedIn newsletter. And if you hire me, now your corporate brand gets the momentum of my reach is let's not kid ourselves. If we're just going down to brass tacks, if you don't think that that increases your equity as a potential hire or your internal equity for that organization, you are missing a major opportunity. So I always like to paint that picture for people because it's very visceral. Like a lot of personal branding might seem theoretical and my reputation and all of that is great too. But sometimes, and especially with the people we work with, it's always like, what is the ROI for the personal brand? Well, for executives, that's big because ROI is how your company is growing. For employees, sometimes it's harder to draw that correlation. We're like, no, there's ROI there. You get more leverage. I would think, I mean, if I was an employer and I was hiring somebody and they said, hey, I've got a, a following of 20,000 on Instagram and I'm going to talk about our agency and the work we're doing, that means something to me as an owner and executive. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think about it too, not even in terms of, let's say you don't necessarily build a big following, but just you're putting some content out that establishes some credibility. It shows that you're, you know, you're investing time and re reading or learning, or you know something about uh, your area where you work in. If I'm a recruiter and I've asked recruiters about this, if you go to, to interview somebody, to hire somebody, you go and look to see what kind of things they've posted on LinkedIn or other places. And absolutely, they go do their homework. They investigate, they check you out. And so, you know, you want to have that stuff out there. You want to do it now, just like you want to go build a network before you need it. Absolutely. And don't for a second forget, as somebody who's maybe internal in an organization, everybody has an audience. I think a lot of us just think it's for the salespeople or for executives or folks like that. No, your audience could be your future employer, your current employer. The more content you put out there that helps them and drives value to them, to your point, absolutely, that's just going to help you, the employer, the target audience you're always trying to win over. So nothing, nothing but helpful. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, let's go. So you said you work with a lot of entrepreneurs, executives are putting books out. Um, people are trying to build that brand, build that credibility. And, yeah. and are you working with an agency or do you do this on your own now? So we, yes, I, I started as a consultant and then it's grown so quickly that we now have an agency and we have a team. But the fact of the matter is, as I hear it from entrepreneurs, when you get ready or you think, okay, I think I'm ready to share my experiences with the world in terms of a book, there's generally two routes you can take. You can self-publish with Amazon. A lot of us do that. Or you can go to a publishing house and, and do the book through the publishing house. And here's what entrepreneurs are telling us. The publishing house won't even talk to me unless I have a following of 10,000. Or the publishers say to us, we really like the book. We're getting ready to go, but we need to build up the following so that there's a warm audience to release it to. 
So either way, we're either building that following so people can attract larger publishers if that's the route that they want to go or have a warm audience for self-pub if they're doing Amazon, or we're working as strategic partners alongside publishing houses to help their authors really build up that presence. Well, and as I'm working on my first book right now and, and just learning everything I can about marketing, um, and I've talked to a lot of authors to you know get their advice. I've talked to authors who have self-published. I've talked to authors who have gone through traditional publishers. Most of the authors I know who have gone through traditional publishing say that the traditional publishers didn't do anything for them to market anyway. They still were responsible for their own marketing, which means they needed to go out and build a brand and market. So if you are putting out a book or some other type of content and you want to get attention for it, you're going to have to go build that brand. That's right. Absolutely. I mean, you really, when we look at teams, we're typically dealing with just to give everybody who are th maybe thinking about self-pubbing kind of behind the curtains, a full on team is usually the digital marketers and the personal branders, right? That would be us, the publisher and then publicists. And you really need all three of those in your wheelhouse publishers for, you know, credibility, distribution, relationships, publicist is getting you on talk shows, appearances, podcasts, um, helping kind of fan the flames of the media. And then your digital marketing and personal branding team, if you're not doing that yourself, uh, they're really building up the social followings and all three of them work in concert together. But I think to your point, people don't realize to think, oh, I'll get a publisher. It's just a one, you know, good to go. I've made it. And no, every single time there's those three, it's the triangulation of those three competencies that are that are at play to really launch a book and an author. Love it. All right. So selfish question, walk me through this process. You know, you probably can't go into every detail, but I'm getting ready to publish a book. What should I be thinking about? What steps should I be taking to start to build the brand that's going to allow me to be successful with the book? 100%. It's a great question. I'm happy. I'm happy to actually tell <laughs> you, you everything I would, I would say. So the first thing is you really want to think about, obviously, if you're writing a book, what the main theme is, what the brand theme is of the book, what is the intent, what is the value proposition of the book to the audience? Even with fiction, I mean, there's a value proposition to a book, you're marketing it, it's entertainment. You need to be thinking about who that target audience is and niche it down just like you would in marketing. Again, even with fiction, this is very important as you look to market. So number one is you wanna go narrow and deep on who that ideal reader is. We talk about this a lot in business with your ideal client avatar. It's really no different for authors. You need your ideal reader avatar. Who's the person who's gonna get the most value from this book? Great, you have that down. Now you need to go work to attract those people on social media and how you're gonna do that is figure out their challenges, their pain points, the learning lessons in the book that's gonna resonate with them. So you wanna start producing content that falls under that main concept or brand or theme by listing out the challenges the book is solving for and making that apparent, whether it's videos you're putting out, whether it's captions and long form statuses, graphics, quotables, statistics, anything that is, again, providing value that's in step with that book. And then most people, you're gonna to wanna to do the pre-order campaign and then you're gonna do the pub, right? So pre-order is to start to galvanize some of that warm network, get them to pre-order the book. And many times you wanna consider doing something like, this is where you add freemium. So if we're talking about a traditional marketing funnel, you're gonna add things like, I don't know, a free chapter of a book, a workbook of a book or something like that to incentivize people to make that early commitment. and so. You also are pushing that on social media at a certain point 
depending upon your launch strategy. And then you have the actual pub date where you want to talk about reviews of the book, testimonials that people have given for the book and push them to the platform to order it. So again, if I were to going to condense it down, everything reverse engineered from your ideal reader avatar, start building up content that's delivering value to that. So you're breadcrumbing them back to the book, then push a pre-order, give them even more value with something like a freemium offering. Perhaps that is the free audible uh, chapter, a, you know, a printout that goes with the book, uh, a mini course that goes with the book. I mean, you name it, it's providing value and providing value. And then you've really nurtured it all the way to when it's released. And that's when you want to start building in third-party credibility, guesting on podcasts, things of that nature. Very good advice. All right. I'm, I'm thinking about it. I hope other people... Practical roadmap, Andy. <laughs> roadmap. Well, uh, you know, you you justified, you legitimized my decision to start doing these live interviews leading up to publishing the book months from now, um, probably starting a new podcast in that space as well to market the book. So yeah, there's a lot of ideas I have in that space. Um, we have a few people joining us live. I want to give a shout out to people who are joining us live. Make sure you, you drop a comment in the chat where you're joining from, ask any questions you might have for Kate or for me about LinkedIn, personal branding. Um, so I want to talk to the corporate employees now who are listening, thinking, okay, this is great. I'm never going to write a book. I'm not going to go out on my own. I just want to be happy and successful. I want to set myself up for a successful career. What should they be thinking about in terms of like, why should I go? We talked about a little bit of the why and building a brand because it could have you helpful in getting that next job. Um, what are some things that they should be doing to build that brand where it's not going to take a ton of time because you know they got a job to do? Yeah. So, you know, the thing that we always tell people when it comes to time, time, time mm -hmm. is the big thing, the great equalizer for all yes. of us. We all have the same 24 hours in a day. And the thing about personal branding to your point where we start to battle that time element is you got to do it consistently. You can't just make a LinkedIn profile and be like, there it is. There's my personal brand. I'm out of here. This is great. You have to make sure that you're doing it. I mean, we're seeing at least three times a week on LinkedIn to get it out there just to use that, that platform as a reference. And so if you're talking about posting three times a week, a status post, and an average month has four weeks in it, mm -hmm. you're really talking about creating 12 statuses. And the easiest way you can start to develop what we call good content catalog is to think about the top 10 questions that, that comes up in your day-to-day -day life. So in my former corporate iteration of myself, I worked with data an analytics, uh, a data analytics team with the marketing department. And there was questions all the time like, do we use this tool for data visualization or this tool? What is the right uh, FICO score? It, we were in lending FICO score we want to analyze. I mean, there were just questions every day that their, their career revolved around. And when you think about those 10 most pressing questions that's coming for your manager or that your team is struggling with or that your company is struggling with, that they come to you for the answer to help solve that's a really easy way then to develop 12 pieces of content and have enough for a month because you're basically just providing answers to FAQs. And that's the thing is you just want to be a person of value. A lot of the times when we work with executives, they say, oh my goodness, building a personal brand feels so arduous. I'm running these three companies, la la la. And we just say, then don't think of it as branding. That is such a heavy, intense word. 
Just think of it as publicly educating. That's all you're doing when you're building a brand. You're educating people. If you can sit in the role of teacher, you take all of that nasty stuff that's in your head when you talk about influencer or expert, it gets out of there and it puts you on mission correct course, which is you just want to teach and share. And that's the point of building a brand and becoming somebody of value. Yeah, so true. Um, I think about that all the time. And I also, you know, I follow Gary V on this, of course, and he talks about the, uh, you know, there's the teacher, but there's also the kind of you're on the journey with this on this in this with me, right? Absolutely. So I'm sharing things and I'm learning along the way. I always give that advice to people that are in that that corporate position. They're not trying to become a big influencer, just want to establish some credibility. You know, I just tell them just share the articles that you're reading that yes. you find are really insightful that you would want to send to some friends anyway, and just put it out there with a little bit of your point of view. Hey, yep. read this. I saw that it pointed this and this. I agree with this. I disagree with that. Or a book review or something else um, to give value to people. And it just brings credibility to you because it shows that you're out there learning and you're sharing. You're doing a little bit of teaching in that way as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, you talk about three posts a week, um, which still probably feels like a lot to people lot who are just people. starting out. Um, I know I'm typically five to six a week. And sometimes that feels like a lot for me, even though I've been doing it for two or three years. Um, I put so much pressure on myself and I'm like, why don't I just relax? And uh, it's funny, you posted something. I, I really do. I love all the stuff you put out there. And you, you wrote an article the other day and you talked about um, reusing content that had worked for you before. And that mm -hmm. was like a revelation for me because I was like, why do I always put so much pressure on myself to create yeah. brand new content every day when I could just go back to something that worked before? And Absolutely. it's not like, I mean, no one's going to punish me for that, right? And be like, oh, you posted that before. I'm not going to read no. it. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Like trying to make this easy for, you know, creating great content. Um, and even for someone that says, oh, three times a week, that feels like a lot. Yeah. So I love that you reference that because it's so true. I think there's, I, I, I'm going to be mindful in how I use this word. Our egos get in the way of us building a personal brand. And I don't totally. mean like we're super, super cocky about it. I mean, the ego that's like, you're not good enough. You need to be doing better. Yeah. Look at them. They're doing better. Oh, comparing yourself to everybody. Every time yeah. I see your, one of your articles, I'm like, dang, she's so good. Like, why can't I write like that? And then we're all doing it though. We all are. I'll look at your stuff or I'll look at other people's. And I'm like, they're just killing it. I'm not, you're a piece of crap. Like do better. This is your livelihood. Um, so I know how all of you probably feel if me who does this for a living feels yeah. that way. But the part of the ego that actually does come up in this is <laughs> that is kind of maybe you're giving yourself a little too much credit, which is you think that everybody has read everything that you've published. And it's just, I mean, we were talking about our network size. We each have a, a, a little bit over 12,000. Right. And to think that all 12,000 people that saw something I posted three months ago is absurd. And even if they did, they probably forgot it. And it takes over seven impressions to form an association. So when you publish content that has the same theme, some of the same learning lessons, but maybe just a slightly different angle, you're not falling flat for your audience, you're actually drilling it into their head. So even that you should look at as doing somebody a service because you might have a really great piece of content and it just didn't hit enough people. And then you're robbing somebody the opportunity to see that if you don't figure out ways to repurpose it or bring other examples to it. So 
this idea that I need to be this endless well of creativity and inspiration is just not the case. And it's actually, I will, I will do you one better. It's a disservice to you. It's a disservice to your audience when you assume that they need to be new and novel every time, because we don't mm. learn like that. We learn through reinforcement. Yeah. So true. I love seeing stuff over and over again uh, because it reinforces the important points. And you're right. I get, I put something out there. I have 12,000 connections. I get like 30 likes on it. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of people that didn't see that post last time. Absolutely. From seeing it. And then, and then the 30 of those 12,000, think about the people, it's going to be extremely, time is a big part of when we receive mm -hmm. messages. We all know this. We've yeah. heard the same thing from people on our lives, blah, 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 blah. And then all of a sudden the right time, the right message lands, and then we take action. So even if, again, they saw it or didn't see it two months ago, time is such a critical element of mm -hmm. it that the more you put it in front of them, the more chances you increase that it was the right time for them to receive the message. We all know those books. There's one in particular for me where I'm like, I read it, it was okay. I read it again, it was great. The yeah. first time wasn't the right time for me to read that book. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, there's movies I've watched where it wasn't even as good the first time. Right? The second time books reinforce um, you know, articles and of course the posts on LinkedIn. We're getting some great comments on here from people who are watching us, Christine O'Connell, um, and a question from Sabina Salat, I think, who said, is repurposing the same, sorry, is reposting the same as repurposing something? Yeah, it's a great question. So a repost is exactly that, right? You're copying and pasting basically verbatim the same status. And if you're gonna repost, you definitely wanna give it more time. But what I'd encourage you to do is, is repurpose, which is, take the essence of that, whatever you were trying to communicate, maybe bring in a different example or talk about how it's evolved in the last month. So an example of this might be, um, you know, I talk about different sources to pull content and just to bring it into my world. And a favorite tool of mine is uh, getpocket.com. If you guys aren't pocketing mm. articles, especially as we're talking about articles to put on LinkedIn with your advice, yeah, pocket, the Chrome extension allows you to basically hyper bookmark and tag them as things. Okay. So I might write that one month, but then the next month I might show a screen share of exactly how I organize my pocket account. So again, same theme, different, maybe take on it, different little twists, different example, maybe same concept, but now I have a new customer case study. I can illuminate the same idea with. So repurposing, you're shifting it a bit. Reposting is absolutely, you're taking the same exact thing and reposting it. And listen, people do that. And again, I think with enough time, it's okay to repost, especially yeah. like quotables or statistics that you really want to get the emphasis there. Yeah. There's definitely some people I follow um, where I'm like, I'm pretty sure I've seen this post or this story before, but it's pretty good. And I don't blame them because it's probably been like a year and yeah. of their followers haven't seen it before. I'm not like mad about it. It doesn't really matter. And I'm a big fan of repurposing, you know, uh, credit back to Gary V. I learned from him, of course, big follower and fan. Um, I'll try to take, you know, interviews like this and I'll take the audio from this and put it on a podcast, uh, transcribe it, turn it into an article, turn it into different types of posts, um, anything I can to pull content out of it. Because there's so much great content, especially when you interview a fantastic expert like you you got to take all the content you can and turn it into different posts. I don't do enough of it, frankly. And I think 
People can take articles. It doesn't have to be your own content, right? You can take these different articles you're reading and put different spins on them. It could be different posts um, just to share ideas. Yeah. So am I, does it allow me to share my screen? I think so. I think yeah. I have a, there's a share screen. Of the, I've never done this before. Oh my goodness. All right. We're going to just take a virtual field trip and see if this will work Let's together. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've probably done, I don't know, 40 or 50 of these LinkedIn live interviews. I've never shared a screen never, okay. before. Oh, I think it will. Okay. All right. I'm going to share my, can everybody see my pocket account? Uh, I've got to add it in. Okay. Here we go. Yep. It's up there. Okay, cool. So something that I found a while ago was for myself, it was an article called uh, four reasons you're afraid to be the face of your brand. I didn't write this article, but it's all about founders <laughs> being the face of their brand. So to Andy's point, you better believe that I'm having my team take these examples that this uh, journalist so wonderfully illuminates here. You don't have strong emotional or boundary capacities and break it into quotes. Definitely give them credit, right? We're going to quote them, mm -hmm. but then show examples of how it shows up for our clients. So to your point, it doesn't need to be yours when you're repurposing. This is a really good example of I can repurpose four parts of this and just illuminate how this comes up with our clients of, oh, you know, one of the things that's preventing you is you're actually afraid of being seen. And this is how we coach clients through it. So use stuff like that as inspiration. It's really going to help. Man, that was really cool. We, you just shared your screen on LinkedIn Live. That's awesome. That's going to be a little <laughs> tougher repurposing to the podcast, but you know, we'll, uh, we'll, make, we'll make the best of it. Um, what, there's one other strategy that I don't do enough that I think is great. I wonder if you, you work with people or you advise them to do this, which is not even worrying necessarily about all the content you put out yourself, but going and commenting on other people's posts to build your brand. That's right. Um, so here's the thing about comments. I scour them for my own statuses. I So when a post is happening and people are there, especially when it has to do with your industry, you will notice just by observing others' feedback and engaging in the comments, number one, you're building your brand awareness because people can see what you comment on. So just be mindful of that. That's why we always tell clients like, just comment within your niche and your industry because every activity you take on LinkedIn is building your brand, even your likes. It shows people that in a way that other social platforms just don't as visibly as it does in the newsfeed. Number two, if you're short and you're down and out on content, just go and hop in the comment section because you're going to want to provide your opinion. You're going to see other people's opinions and that's going to inspire status posts. Three, Social media is reciprocity. You're building relationships. I comment on Andy's stuff. I read his stuff, vice versa. That's oh. why we're on this call together. Oh. That's why we're, we've been far away friends and fans. And the yeah. second that Andy would ask me to do anything like this interview, you better believe he's getting upshifted in my schedule. Like he, and, and that, but that's right. But that's the power you of credibility. And I have built that relationship yeah. through them. Yeah. So, it's going to do a number of things for you. I can't, to your point, Andy, underestimate the the power of commenting. Yeah, commenting. I, I love the getting ideas from comments, commenting on others, um, finding really popular, influential people in your space and leaving comments. You'd be surprised sometimes, you know, some really popular person posts something and you leave a comment and then your comment gets like 30 likes. You're like, wow, this yeah. is people see it and they're reading all the comments and to see what else is out there. Uh, it's really interesting. One other question about LinkedIn. Um, 
How do you feel about hashtags? I use them. I don't really know if I'm getting that much benefit out of them. How, do, how, how can I get more benefit out of hashtags on LinkedIn? Yeah, I, I recommend it. I mean, to hashtag to death is to be a bit annoying in the content. I think sometimes it's just like, boy, I get to the end of the status and there's like 20 hashtags, please spare me. <laughs> Instagram but, for sure, but even LinkedIn. Right. <laughs> yeah. But if you strategically use them, we always use personal branding, um, executive branding, author branding. It will help you get discovered. And LinkedIn does do a lot of the legwork for you in that. And you'll actually get notifications from time to time. It's like your post is trending in leadership. And you're like, oh, wow, yeah. really? Um, but people do follow hashtags on LinkedIn. I think my rule of thumb would be use them strategically, use them in a way to optimize uh, you know, searching and, and when people are searching specific words, your content is popped up and don't just add a whole string of them at the end, a la Instagram, because it's just a bit much for this platform. Yeah, absolutely. Makes sense. Um, okay, cool. So we covered a lot on building your personal brand on LinkedIn. Uh, what are a couple of mistakes? Let's talk about LinkedIn for a second before we close it out. Like what are a couple of mistakes uh, yeah. you see people making all the time on LinkedIn? Yes. Okay. This is going to be a big one for your audience because at first you guys are going to say, what are you talking about? But <laughs> there is this very handy function of LinkedIn. I call it the magic import button. And it's, it's probably the best and worst thing they ever did for people, which is you get a LinkedIn profile and then there's this button that says import your resume. And you just oh. import my resume. I didn't even know about that. Yeah, I, they might have gotten rid of it, but back when all of us set up our LinkedIn's, yeah. you know, we all did the same thing. We knew we were in the corporate world. Yep. You got to have a LinkedIn profile for the corporate world. And then maybe we haven't logged into it in three years, right? This is yep. like the very, very natural. And then yep. we log into it again when we're looking for jobs. That's kind of the progression of some folks on LinkedIn. Back when a lot of us set it up, there was this beautiful thing that said, just, just upload my resume. And so it uploads your resume and there it is. But when you do this, and when most people go to set up their LinkedIn profile, they set it up and structure it like a resume. Now, that's not a problem if your resume is following best practices and best form, which is it's all reverse engineered from the value you can bring yes. to your audience or an organization. Like that, yeah. yeah, and how you're helping them. But most people don't do that. Right. And it's all about me, 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 and why I'm such a good candidate. And I can tell you right now, because I am in right after this, I'm going into the interview process. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm hiring right now. And when it talks all about you, 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 I get this glazed look on my face and then yeah. I, I just tune out versus Same in sales. It's not about you. Exactly. It's about me. Actually, right. you're hot. You're interviewing for my organization. Yes, it's you. How, how am I going to help you? Yes, absolutely. So that's a big one, whether you're in sales, whether you're publishing a book, whether you're looking for a job, always remembering that the goal of your profile is actually to deliver value to whatever the established audience is. And the biggest part people get themselves in trouble with on LinkedIn is the headline. Because mm. most of us just put data, again, I'm just going to use this yeah. example, data of, yeah. at right. ABC Lending Corp. And here's what you've now done for your audience. They don't know what data analyst means to ABC Lending Corp. That data analyst could mean a myriad thing right. depending upon the organization. So that's number one, it's ambiguous. Number two, what the heck is ABC Lending Corp? We don't know that. So now you've given your audience homework to do. Yeah. It's better to use that headline 
and make it radically clear. I mean, dummy proof it, make it as clear as possible. I help something do something. So if you're a data analyst for ABC Lending Corp, you might say, you know, a specialist at analyzing um, the the payback rate of loans. I don't know what that is, but you're basically telling people exactly what it is you do and the value you bring to their organization. So I think that's one just people get wrong right off the jump is not optimizing that for how they drive value for others and assuming we all collectively know what in the world that means. And most job titles are for internal use only, not for external use. And that that is is getting in your way. Mm, so flip so to recap what you said about the biggest mistakes when you're setting up your LinkedIn profile or, or you're already on LinkedIn, refreshing your LinkedIn profile. Think about positioning everything in terms of what value you bring to other people. Make it easy for others to understand and uh, put that headline on there, something that's going to be, uh, I don't know if attractive is the right word because you may not necessarily, if you're in a job, you may not be trying to attract certain people, but um, interesting. So it looks yeah. like you're doing interesting things and you're providing value in some way versus just some static internal job title. Yes, and clear. clear. And even if you think your job title is clear, I urge you to remember that to anybody outside of your organization, it is not. Right. It is not clear what you do on a day-to-day -day basis. Bookkeeper at Ladon Brands tells me nothing about what you do. Bookkeeper managing the P&L statements and you know uh, invoicing for brand consultancy, that's clear. It's irrefutable what you do on a day-to-day -day ba right. basis, the value you're driving. Yeah, no kidding. All right, some great advice in here. I'm going to go back to one question from my friend, Hannah Bako in the UK, who asked about what does it actually mean when hashtags are trending? And I know the answer to that. It's complete garbage. <laughs> it doesn't mean <laughs> okay. anything, right? Great. Okay. I was going to say, I, I really just think it's like something that makes you feel better. Like it's oh, like, they're just, yeah, they're trying to get people engaged and make them feel excited. I can't tell you the number of times I posted something and then I got the notification that you know, your post is trending in leadership. And I'm like, my post has like 10 views and two likes. Like it's not trending anywhere. It's it's, a, they're doing their really great social media job of making you want to be on the platform more by rewarding you. Oh yeah. So I hate to like just pop the word on that. But you, I'm so glad you said that because I was like, here, I'm going to be such the like naysayer and be like, it's BS. I, I, yeah, I've known people. I, the first time I got it, I was, I was like, wow, I'm trending? Yes. That's amazing. And I know other All friends right. that have like, shared in groups that we're in, like my post is trending in this. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. What does that mean? As, as Hannah asked, and like, it doesn't really mean anything. It means LinkedIn is just trying to get you to come back. Yeah, it means I'll be back now. <laughs> yeah, sad. All right, well, we got to wrap things up, Kate. Um, one more question. I'm working on a book right now, as I mentioned, it's called Own Your Career, Own Your Life, um, all about helping people stop drifting, take control of their careers. Um, and so I've been asking this question to everybody who comes on. Uh, when you think about the idea of owning one's career, what does that mean to you? Oh, man. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I'll say this. I went to work for a corporation at a young age and excelled, and excelled professionally in that corporation. Very grateful because it was around the time of 2008 and the recession. And I, there's not a day that goes by where I'm not thankful for that. But very quickly, I realized whether it is inside a corporation or stepping out and building a business, I had to be the one that was controlling my 
my career destiny if I wanted to live in my personal values. And so for me, I think controlling or owning my career really was, is who I am as a person in my personal values in alignment with the corporation's personal values or any or core values or any corporation I'd go to work with. And for me, that entrepreneurial freedom value was so strong that I just decided to go off and create a business with those core values and then attract employees that shared those values to us. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, it's far from a good friend of mine, Mary Beth Highlands, who always talks about how values drive everything. Owning my career was not even a possibility until I became very present to what values were driving me as a yeah. human and then seeing how my career could be a beautiful extension and manifestation of those values versus feeling like I was ever sacrificing that for a career. Yeah, I love that. I, I do. I think it's it's important to take ownership of your career, be intentional, but you can't really do that until you know who you are, That's what right. you care about, where you want to go. And then you can start making a plan, setting goals. So many people have these goals, but they're all they're influenced by the people around them. They're just trying to achieve things that don't match up with their own personal values or their purpose because they haven't really taken time to think about what those things are. And once you do, and you're really clear on that sort of thing, like what you're talking about, oh my gosh, it gives you so much confidence to go forward and and do what you need to do. Yeah, you're unstoppable. You know, I had the very distinct pleasure of mentoring, interestingly enough, a a girl who, a, a young woman who was studying accounting. And she got an offer from like what I guess would traditionally be one of the big four or big eight. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if they call them that anymore, yeah. but it was a big one. Big professional services she, firm. Yes, yes, a huge, huge accounting firm. And she said, you know what? I thought about what you said about personal values and I realized my commute was gonna have me, this is when we were commuting, yeah. <laughs> back in that world, I, I back that. in that world when you drove places and went yeah. to an office. Um, it was gonna take me three hours out of my day and my personal value of family yeah. was so strong. And I applauded her because I would not have the wherewithal at 20 years of age to yeah. have turned down that offer because right. of my value. And she said, no, I lived in it. And I just said, thank you, but no, thank you. And then two months later, she got an offer from an equally as big private organization mm-hmm. who was only 30 minutes away from where she lived. And nice. that is owning your career oh. at age 20. Gives me goosebumps. I wish Amazing. I knew that at 20. It took yeah, me a right? lot longer to figure those things out. But <laughs> now I do and I work from home and I don't have a commute. And what I do, I think aligns with my values. But it's true. People talk about it all the time. They think they know their values. It doesn't align with their schedule. They've got the, they say uh, family is important, but they're working really late hours. Nothing wrong with working hard. Um, but if you say family is the most important thing to you, maybe you need to change jobs. The classic example from my friend, Christine DiDonato, who runs a program on uh, taking ownership of her career is that she said, I always said that, um, you know, health and, and fitness was one of the most important things to me. And yet I would always choose happy hour over yeah. the gym in the afternoon. So what's really important is, you know, socialization and, and friends and that sort of thing. And of course, health is important too, but we got to know what our values, what our, and then we can prioritize our time and make a plan. Uh, well, speaking of prioritizing time, this has been a great use of time for me, and I hope it has been for you, and I know it has been for everybody who's tuned in and listened. Um, so thank you, Kate, for spending time with me live today on LinkedIn. I really appreciate it. It is such a pleasure, Andy. I, like, I'm like i not kidding everybody when I say I 
sometimes feel weird because I like all of Andy's stuff so much and follow him so much. He's probably like, oh my God, you're creepy. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm flattered. I'm blushing over here. <laughs> it's, a, it's a distinct honor and privilege. And I look forward to, to, to seeing more of it. And thank you so much for having me on. Oh, thank you. And the feeling is mutual. All right, take care. All right, that's a wrap on my interview with Kate Ladon. If you want to go connect with her or follow her on LinkedIn, her first name is spelled Kate, K-A-I-T, last name Ladon, L-E-D-O-N-N-E, Kate Ladon. She's sharing lots of great content on LinkedIn. I just looked her up as I was recording this, and she just shared a great little video she recorded on TikTok and then posted onto LinkedIn on uh, an article she did about the top six mistakes we see people making on LinkedIn when building their personal brand. So being in the corporate space, you know you've gotta be on LinkedIn, uh, which means you've gotta be uh, following people, connecting with people, messaging people, uh, creating some content, and you wanna be uh, optimizing your profile as well. And Kate has some great tips on that, so go check her out. And of course, I'm gonna continue to share great tips on that on my LinkedIn. Uh, on uh, in our in the book, of course, which you know you can go get. There's a lot of great content in my book, Own Your Career, Own Your Life. And of course, we have free resources on our website. If you go to ownyourcareerownyourlife.com slash bonus, that's ownyourcareerownyourlife.com slash bonus. All right, thanks so much for listening. I will see you next time.